This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The postpartum period is undoubtedly a time of emotional overwhelm, often fueled by the perpetuation of motherhood myths. Recognizing the influence of societal expectations and personal tendencies is the first step toward nurturing your emotional well-being. By debunking motherhood myths and embracing self-compassion, self-care, and a growth mindset, and the importance of seeking support— you can cultivate resilience and find joy in the beautiful chaos of motherhood. Remember, you are not alone. And with the right support, you can thrive as a mother and cherish the transformative experience of motherhood. Valeria interviews Dina Pataki. She is a certified integral coach by New Ventures West at University of Cape Town and a certified specialist in perinatal mental health by Postpartum Support International. Dina has also trained in the art of holding perinatal women in distress model with Karen Kleiman. She holds a B.A. Hans in psychology and is the mother of two energetic boys. Her own experience of postpartum depression has prompted her to specialize in perinatal mental health. Dina's passion is to support parents who experience mood challenges and struggle adjusting to parenthood. She also supports parents who find themselves in this phase of reclaiming themselves once their little ones have grown a little bit, but they may feel confused, disoriented, and stuck, not knowing where to start from. Dina offers compassionate, insightful, and transformative coaching. Her method is integral, which is a holistic approach focusing on the mind, heart, and body. Meet Dina at dinapataki.com. Here's the interview with Dina Pataki. In your own words, who is Dina Pataki? That's something I'm still trying to Mm. understand myself sometimes. What I can say is that Tina plays many roles, like everyone in in life. I have the role of being a wife, being a mother, uh, being a daughter, uh, being a friend. And all of these, uh, there are a lot of roles and all of them are important. I feel they influence how we feel about ourselves. Mm. Uh, They influence our self-identity. But if I were to choose one definition, I guess, of who is Dina, I would say that I'm I'm on a journey, on the journey of life. Uh, and like every other human being, I think I'm a traveler. I'm, mm. And through this traveling, uh, in my own human experience, let's say, I'm still rediscovering uh, a lot of 
things about myself that I haven't seen before. Mm, yes, I love this openness, right, to the mystery. <laughs> yes, what a beautiful answer. Yeah. Yes, a traveler of life. There's something about that that's very inspiring to me. So our conversation today is coming from uh, the topic is the, the postpartum period and the experience of new parents. That's coming yeah. from the work you do as a professional. So you are a certified integral coach, certified prenatal mental health specialist and mental health guide. How did you come to do what you're doing today, Dina? What inspired you to be you in, in this sense? It's a long story. Yeah. When I was young, still, okay. <laughs> let's yeah. say at 18, 19, I, I always were curious about human behavior. I always wanted to deeply understand people, human beings, and understand myself, especially at that age, uh, when I was still trying to figure out who I was. And I started to buy, that's why I went to study psychology. But then again, 20 years ago in Greece, where I grew up, uh, in terms of working as a psychologist, the opportunities were very scarce. And so I worked uh, in, in, in the corporate world and I have 18 years of experience in the end working in, in tourism and working in, in corporate companies. But there was some point towards the end of those uh, corporate years where I had my kids. And with my firstborn, I didn't feel the way I thought that I would feel. So the way I experienced motherhood was nothing of that fluffy pink cloud that I can (laughs) be on. (laughs) (laughs) It was um, a very hard transition for me, very unexpected transition in the sense of feeling really a lot of raw emotions, uh, feeling like I have lost myself, like I don't know who I am and feeling like maybe I had made a terrible mistake and maybe I wasn't supposed to be a mother. And then By growing slowly, healing from that experience, I had my second son and I realized that I was leaving both of my kids uh, in care while I was doing something that was no longer meaningful for me. And so that was the tipping point, I think, when I realized, okay, what do I really want to do? I was close to my 40s at that time and I couldn't imagine doing another 25 years of what I was doing. So that's where I decided to go back in, in some sort of sense to psychology and to that, that domain, let's say. And I decided to go back to school and become a certified coach. And because of the experience that I had with my first son, I really wanted to support other parents. Yes, I love when what we do come from our own insights, our own life experience insights. And I mean, in struggles too, right? Challenges. Mm. And that is the case. How interesting. I have lots of questions for you when it comes to okay. motherhood. Let me ask you some, some of these open questions. Yeah, I'll ask you this one from the get-go. What is to be a mother? Oh, that's so big. <laughs> I really don't yes. know how I can respond to yeah. this question. <sighs> there are a lot of misconceptions, I think, about what is a mother. I think uh, a lot of people would expect me to say that a mother is someone who puts her kids above herself. A mother is someone who is willing to sacrifice everything for her kids. Uh, That a mother is 
love that comes naturally and uh, flows freely towards our kids. Uh, and all of this is, I can't, I don't, I don't say that this is not true, but at the same time, I think that there is a lot of work behind it. It doesn't all come as naturally and uh, we don't need to sacrifice everything either. Mm. And so mother is love. It is loving deeply and caring deeply for your kids, mm. but it is also loving and deeply care yourself mm. and um, your own needs and the other things that make you feel whole in your life. It's not just motherhood on its own that brings fulfillment, I think. Oh, wow. What a beautiful answer. Yes. Yeah, I heard this many times uh, from so many people. We cannot love others before we love ourselves. It's just not possible. And I have asked mothers here, how do you feel about that? And some of them have answered differently. Very few have said that sometimes we learn to love ourselves by loving others, by loving our children unconditionally. But not too many answer that way. I guess it could happen too, right, Dina? By loving someone deeply, we might find that love for ourselves. But I'm not sure if this is really, it's not my experience. How do you feel about that? Yes, that can definitely happen. I feel a lot of times what happens is that motherhood is a big, I will use the word disruption, but it really disrupts our way of being. It really changes the way we think, we see things until Mm -hmm. then. And maybe someone had never noticed before that they didn't love deeply themselves. Mm, And maybe it's motherhood that triggers that, that triggers that understanding and that self-awareness. Definitely. Yeah. Ah, So it could happen from this, yeah, from this perspective of being reminded, right? Mm, As mm -hmm. uh, Right. That makes a lot of sense. Ah, there's another question. Yeah, we'll be talking in a moment about the myths. That Mm -hmm. really caught my attention to the five myths that you wrote about. Before that... How do you define mental health these days? Hmm. I will use a biological term. Mm. I will use homeostasis as, as, yeah. as a, what I think is mental health. I think generally, if we can keep that homeostasis, keep that state of inner calm and mm. inner peace um, and feeling that we are still aligned despite what is happening around you know, despite what external stressors we might be having in our lives, uh, I think that's a sign of strong emotional and mental health. Mm, Yes, what a beautiful and wise answer. Yes, I never heard it that way, but it resonates true to me very much. So that sense of balance, harmony, peace, inner peace. Mm. Yes, that really resonates. You know, I heard somebody say also the other day about I am where I'm supposed to be. It's almost like feeling as if this moment, whatever is happening here in my life now, this is my place. This is the truth about my life. And this Mm. is what I I accept. And I am in alignment. I'm at peace with it. There's something about that, that it resonates true, but it's almost like beyond that. It it feels very spiritual to me. Uh, I talked briefly off record about how interested I am in spirituality because of that, my all my spiritual practices, they always go back. The insights that I get from, from them 
It's always about inner peace, being in acceptance, in alignment with what is happening. Perhaps not in alignment when it comes to the heart and, and liking it, but there, there's something about letting whatever it is be. It's, it's, there's a sense of freedom in it. I think that's what it is. It goes back to just letting everything be without resistance because that creates more problem than, than solve whatever we're trying to solve. I really like this, yeah. And I love your answer right, about mental health. Would you say that, Dina, in a way that has to do with this ability to let go in the moment and to accept what is? Hmm. I need to think about this a little yeah. bit longer, but I think from my own personal experience and what I have come to realize through the coaching process as well is that one of the beliefs, let's say, that I have lived by uh, is that if there is something that I don't like in my life, then it's up to me to change it. Yeah. So it has always given me a sense of agency that I can create what I want to create. But I have also realized at the same time that he has created a lot of responsibility uh, and, and, and a huge weight to carry a lot of times because there are certain things that we cannot always create. There are certain things that we can not always do. And so that's when I felt the need to connect more with spirituality in the sense of that letting go of not having to create everything that I don't need to make everything. No, I, not in the sense that I don't need to make everything happen, but if things don't go necessarily according to plan, then there is that sense of spirituality of being able to let it go and being able to be at peace with it. Mm. Yes, a billion times to that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And yes. I think that's really uh -huh. connected with mental health as well, right? Because right. a lot of the people that seek out support is because they feel frustrated, because they feel overwhelmed, they feel anxiety, and they have all of these stressors. And a lot of times it's because it's very difficult to let go and to slow down <laughs> and to accept certain things. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, from my own experience, it has been exactly it. Yeah. I had a lot of childhood traumas. And then to the age of 37, I was burned out in so many ways with this heavy weight of not accepting what happened. And then when, once I realized that I could do that, it was a simple thing. <laughs> of course, it was being depressed, severely depressed. That's when the realization just came to life. Ah, what about if I just accept everything, you know, as it is, what happened, so I can still be happy? So that changed everything in that moment. So it's interesting how we, we tend to hold on to, 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 to outcomes, to what happened in the past, what didn't happen, and so many things. There's always, it's almost like we, are, we keep trying to be elsewhere, but here. It's all about being somewhere in the mind. It's never in the moment. And, and that's one of the, to me, one of the most spiritual, powerful spiritual messages or practices is being in the moment, being present, which has everything to do with healing from my perspective. 
I want to talk already about the article that you wrote that's titled, it's also available on your website for anyone who wants yes. to download it. Mm-hmm. So it's how to avoid the emotional traps of five common motherhood myths. And in one of them, you mentioned the power of presence. So I guess, shall we talk about this, Dina, now? I would love to go through the myth, all of them, the five myths. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <It's okay>. of course. <laughs> so the first one, motherhood brings fulfillment. <laughs> talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, we, That's we touched a big one. upon that a you little did. bit already. Yes. Uh, I think it's that belief where we expect that once we become mothers, we will automatically feel a sense of fulfillment and purpose. And um, because it feels a lot of times like that's the, the, the natural progression of our life, right? Uh, we, we are born, we learn, we grow, we meet someone, we decide to have a family. So it feels like the natural step that is going to take us closer to that fulfillment. But what happens actually is that a lot of mothers experience a a sense of loss of identity instead of fulfillment. And that's because they're experiencing so much changes at the same time that it's very difficult not to feel like you uh, have lost a part of yourself. And when you experience any kind of loss, automatically you have some emotions uh, of grief or mourning. And it's very difficult for mothers to understand why they don't feel super happy and elated and on that pink cloud that I mentioned before. (laughs) And they can actually feel sad and and miss uh, their uh, old life uh, and and even sometimes long for it and long to go back to it. And so that's that the myth that it brings automatically fulfillment. Yes, yeah, that's a big one. In that article, there's also that's material that's available for everyone to download. You mentioned uh, for all, all myths, you you have a ways to overcome the myth. So mm-hmm. for this one, motherhood brings fulfillment. You mentioned three of them. Start with self reflection, and then recognize it's okay to mourn your old life, as you just said. And then rediscover your passions. So that's a very important part of it, of that too, right? Dana, trying to mm-hmm. now to create a new way of, of living, of being in a way, isn't it? Recreating yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what I have seen is what happens is that with the, with the arrival of the baby, the way of being of both parents, not just the mother, uh, if, 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 the, if a partner is present, uh, both of them get affected in the sense that their uh, way of being gets uh, disrupted, it gets influenced, it, and a lot of times it also becomes unsustainable. And, uh, and that's where a lot of the overwhelm and the anxiety and even feelings of sadness and depression can come up because you're trying to live by the rules that you've been living up until then, but they just no longer work. They no longer apply or they're just too much, too hard for you, for them to be sustainable. Right. To integrate, right. To bring all this together. So in mm. ways, it sounds like grieving, right? You're grieving the old life. Yes. Yes, absolutely. How interesting. I'm not a mother, but I, we did, my husband and I, we have a puppy that's, was three years ago. Yes. Then. 
gosh, it changed so much. That's a dog, an animal, a pet in the house. Everything that we used to do was affected by it. It's very interesting. Mm. It has been and still is to see the impact of a living being in our environment. It changes everything, right? It really does. Yes. I was speaking with a mother yesterday, actually, and she's a very accomplished woman. She's a lawyer. Uh, she has worked really hard all her life. And she knows in her line of work and up until now in all her experiences that if she foresees problems, if she puts in the hard work, then she's going to have consistent, successful results. And this just doesn't apply with the baby because she was trying to recreate all the right conditions. She was trying to, to control all the factors. So, for example, the baby would sleep at the right time and would sleep enough and would eat this and would be happy and would play then and, you know, be yes. tired enough, but not too tired. And it's, it's just not sustainable. And the few days that it works, uh, it, uh, it motivates you to keep doing it. In any case, it is your way of being, right? You, you, you are simply carried away with it. It's like there is no other way for you to move forward. And on the days that it doesn't work, it can cause so much frustration and overwhelm and guilt. And, and it's just so much work at the same time that you can't keep doing that forever. So, yeah, it, it can have a very big impact. Right. And especially in trying to have control of the situation, right? Like um, trying yeah. to, to have the same results, the same outcomes, as you mentioned. That doesn't seem sustainable to me, right? Because it's life and life simply happens. So I have to mention that again, we go back to the conversation we just had, topic of letting go of acceptance, being open to what's happening. It, that's one of the things that really, really made a huge difference in my life dealing with trauma, and then, of course, being in a relationship, which changed your life too, getting married and all that, and then having a pet, and then work. It, it's just, uh, I, I cannot say it enough. It just makes a huge difference to be at peace with whatever it is that's happening. It's almost like breathing deeper and sitting in, the, in that timeless chair <laughs> of the here now, and sometimes not enjoying what's happening, but being open to it. That's that's how I have been experiencing this. So the second myth is motherhood comes naturally. And I know that you have already probably tapped into this too, but I'll hear you talk about self-compassion. So talk to me about that, Tina. Yeah, yeah. I think it's this myth where we talk about maternal instincts that we will naturally know what we need to do to soothe our baby that breastfeeding will also come naturally, you know, that our body is going to respond naturally and our emotions, you know, that love is going to come at first sight. And it's not always this way. When my son, my first one was born, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> I didn't feel that love that you see a lot of times in movies with the mother crying, you know, and hugging the baby and, and, and feeling that rush of love. And I thought that seriously, there was something wrong with me. And that's where self-compassion comes into place in the sense that just be kind to yourself, uh, acknowledging that you're doing the best and being patient, mm. being patient with all of this transition and, and acknowledging that you're learning. 
yeah. being a mother is something that you learn. It's not something that you are mm. born with or as to how to respond, what to do and, and how to feel. Um, these are things that come slowly a lot of times into place. Wow. Refreshing to hear. And it really sounds true to me, right? That almost like living as a human, it's not, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> Being mm. a human being, right? Navigating this reality. We need to learn. There's so much to learn. We are always learning, actually. So just before we, we talk about the third myth, let me ask mm -hmm. you this question about postpartum trauma or syndrome. I heard about this before and I I did have one case in my family, my husband's family, I think. Oh, yeah, his mother. She she actually ended up in a hospital, a psychiatric hospital, mm. because she was in such a horrible shape when she had her last daughter. So she couldn't take care of her. She was, she completely lost it. So have you heard about this, Dina? How, yeah, postpartum, I don't even, I forgot I don't know the name of the, um, what is the name of the, uh, is that tra postpartum trauma syndrome? Uh, usually people talk about postpartum depression. That's yes. Right. most well known, but mm -hmm. there are many um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Postpartum depression is just one of them. And uh, it's, uh, it's very similar. It's the same like a major depressive episode, let's say, that an adult uh, would have in, in their life. But the fact that it's combined and it happens at the vulnerable period of becoming a mother, that adds, adds an extra layer to it. And um, it's, uh, it's separate in the DSM-5, uh, postpartum depression. And um, I believe it is, at least in, in the new version. And so you would expect to see all the characteristics that you would see in, 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 in normal depression. The thing is that depression, postpartum depression is a syndrome. Uh, okay. We don't know what is the cause. There is not one single cause. Uh, it can be, there are definitely some underlying sometimes biological factors. So we know that sometimes hereditary can play a role. Uh, when someone had depressive episodes in the past, is more prone to have postpartum depression. Um, but there are also a lot of psychosocial factors that play role. Uh, and, and sometimes even um, personality tendencies, that way of being that we were discussing earlier. So it can be a cluster of different factors that can play role into it. Right. It, that makes sense to me, of course. It's not easy to find the root cause, right, of a lot of mental illnesses, actually. Do you treat women with post-depression syndrome? No, I do not treat women with postpartum depression because that's actually best to be treated in within a therapeutic context. Yeah, yeah. I support women who, who don't necessarily tick all the boxes to be diagnosed uh, with postpartum depression or anxiety, yeah. but who still feel overwhelmed. And usually that overwhelm and that stress and anxiety is driven by their way of being. So it's not something that would have a biological factor. Let's say it's not something that would be, that would also require medication in that case uh, because postpartum depression 
is very much linked to serotonin, for example. Uh, but um, so, yeah, I, I basically work with women who do and and uh, with women and men uh, who do feel that overwhelm, who do feel that loss of self, uh, who do not enjoy parenthood the way they think they would, uh, who do feel guilty because they don't enjoy it uh, and they don't know what to do. Right. But I wouldn't say that they experience depression. Right. Okay. So this is good to know. It's very clear to me. So it's most overwhelm and even a sense of anxiety, but it comes from being overwhelmed with the experience mm-hmm. of being a new mm-hmm. parent. Right. So let's go back to myth, uh, to the myth. So myth three, uh, good moms want to be with their babies all the time. That's, mm-hmm. that's an interesting one. I mean, it, it it feels almost like it's the truth, right? <laughs> but yeah, talk to me about that, you know, how it's not. Well, some moms <laughs> do want to be with their babies yeah. all the time. Uh, I'm not uh, <laughs> negating it. There are some mothers who who, who do want mm. to do that. Yes. But it's okay if you don't. <laughs> mm, yes, right, right. Um, so I think, right. uh, again, society perpetuates this idea mm. that uh, mothers need to sacrifice everything, that we need to be there all the time, that if we don't want to give everything, then it's not good enough. Right. Gosh. And yeah. motherhood a lot of times comes with a lot of, especially the transition, the beginning of it, but afterwards as well, um, has a lot of contradictory emotions. You love your babies a lot, but you also want some me time. You desperately want to go out, but when you're out, you keep thinking about them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So it's not easy to hold contradictory emotions. It's not easy to understand why you feel this and that. Sometimes we feel that it needs to be either or or. And that limits us a lot. And that creates, again, a lot of, um, it can create a lot of guilt. And shame. True. Yeah, you do mention that uh, within the, the section of uh, ways to overcome that myth. Yeah, uh, release guilt. Uh, right. That's such a great point. You know, um, uh, speaking from almost a universal perspective about holding contradictory um, kind of ideas and concepts in the mind, or uh, even if witnessing these thoughts. Um, Sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's it's just it's sometimes it's just natural, isn't it? For I I feel it's completely the nature of the mind to do what it does, and it's always trying to analyze everything or in contact with memories, analyzing, uh, remembering, and then judging. <laughs> mm. There's then doubting. It's kind of interesting to see how it works. You see that I love the work you do as a mental health guide. You see, being a mental health specialist or working in the field, there's something about that that interests me so much because the deeper you go, the more aware you become, per se, of the nature of the mind, the easier it is to kind of accept the contradiction and the paradoxes. Mm. Once we accept them, we just let them be. And I. I see what you mean in the sense that I have witnessed so many women become mothers and each one's experience has been different and they're all okay. There is no right or wrong. 
in that experience, I think. Right. You see, even for your, your perspective as a professional, right, you can see that. Yes, yes, absolutely. But perhaps we can call it healthy and unhealthy when it comes to, let's say, ways of um, parenting that it's not, it doesn't inspire growth or harmony, then that's, that's a different story, right, Dina? That's a different story, yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that we don't want to bring that into that. That's <laughs> no, not okay. No, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we violence and all that. that. Right, right. Uh, it's more about the experience of how you feel as a mother in the transition because there are a lot of shoulds and must, like I should feel this way or I must do this. It's it's these myths that we are discussing, for example, right now that a lot of that bring a lot of frustration and and guilt as well when we can't keep up with them, when we can't uphold them, and that's when I mean that every experience in that sense is valid, um, because um, as I said before, there might be some mothers that are that deal, for example, with sleep deprivation much better. And there are others that uh, sleep deprivation makes them really irritable and and they really need to focus on their self-care and they really need to take that break and they really need to uh, take care of themselves and, uh, and carve out some time for them. So that's in that sense, I'm saying that I've seen so many different experiences of motherhood and they are all okay. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I love that. It's really beautiful, the work you do. Seeing all these, from your perspective, seeing all the different ways people respond to the experience and kind of being open to explore them from, from what it is, right? Mm. Where they are and not trying to do something different or uh, yeah. have guidelines and fixed ideas of how to be right, a mother or how to be a human for, for that sake. Oh, I want to mention also for the third one. So good moms wanted to be with their babies all the time. We just talked about that. In ways to overcome that myth, you mentioned prioritizing self-care and then mm-hmm. communicate your needs and release guilt, which is a very important one. I mean, all of them are important to me. And then the fourth, perfect parenting is attainable. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another one, a big one. Yeah, this is very much linked with perfectionism. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of times what I've seen is people who who tend to exercise perfectionism in other areas of their life, they will also tend to want to exercise it into parenthood as well. And, uh, and that's where the way of being comes again into place. Maybe exercising perfection at work is something that can that we can get away with more easier. Um, that we can perhaps that we have learned how to do it. We have learned how to exercise it um, through years of practice, for example, uh, learning mm. how to control outcomes. Mm. But then it's not easy to apply it uh, in parenthood. And so there is this notion that maybe I can and maybe I can parent the perfect way. And this is also accentuated, I think, further from uh, society, where we see, uh, like, uh, you know, the the beautiful nurseries and and the perfect um, clothes and the homemade uh, 
meals and the baby massages and the baby outings to the pool and uh, everyone looking happy, wearing makeup, hair perfectly done, the house spotless. And, you know, it, 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 we see with so many photos and stimuli in our everyday life, these subliminal messages passed of perfection. And that, of course, creates extra pressure on, on the parents to, to reach that perfection, because who wouldn't want to be the perfect parent? Yes, right. It, it sounds very attractive, doesn't it, to be a perfect mm. human being? The idea, the concept of being perfect, but it is just not a, yeah, I absolutely agree, not an attainable one. I guess the only way to be perfect would be in this way of being, as you say beautifully, of accepting what is. There's something about, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's, it's present. I have heard that before too. It's not about perfection, it's about presence. And you said that within the ways to overcome the myth of, of being, trying to be a perfect parent, you say, emphasize the power of presence. So I would like to, you to elaborate a little bit more on that, Dina, because for some people, it sounds very abstract, what presence mm. is. Well, a lot of times how perfection manifests in, in, in new parents, what I see is that they're constantly thinking of the next thing that they need to do because they have this huge to-do list and, and everything needs to be done. And by pursuing that list and by pursuing the next thing, they are usually not present in, in the moment. So they are there physically, but mentally their mind is all, already thinking about the next thing. And so that's what I mean by the power of presence, because by actually being there whole, body, soul, mind, and heart, it's um, the impact in the parenthood, the impact in the relationship, that quality time is just going to create such a connection and, and so much joy for both the parents and for the kid uh, that it's going to really make that pursuit of, of perfection almost irrelevant. Right. Uh, yes, so true. So, so true. Um, wow, there's so much to, to talk about when it comes to presence, yeah. right? There's... Uh, it seems like from my own experience, what happens, what, when it happens, I, I really practice being present. But sometimes it does happen when, when I, it's almost like I'm rushing the experience because I don't like the experience. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> it is, I'm not interested. <laughs> so oh, something means now, the mind's now. So it tries to rush. Oh, so if I could just, it's almost like I could fast forward this moment. Mm. And maybe, yeah. And, and this is something that doesn't happen just with new parents. I think um, a, a lot of us, um, I think whether we are parents or not, we, we live in a, in a society, at least in the Western society, where we are expected to do a lot of things, right? And we are praised when we do a lot of things and we are very productive and we keep going and we have those to-do lists and we tick things off the, off the list. And so a lot of people find it hard to be in the present moment. That's another, see, that's another, I love the way you say that. It's a way of being. So if we are accustomed to 
think that way, if this is our belief system, is the way we understand ourselves in the world, then we just pass that on. We just impact everything we do with the same way of being. Mm-hmm. So it is changing the way of being. When you say way of being, do you actually tap into belief systems and values and all that too, Dina? Um, I feel yes. The, the way of being is how you relate with yourself, how you relate with others, and how you relate with the environment. And all of these relationships, of course, are, what's the right word? They get, I can't find the word now, but they, the values and the way, the, the values, they influence, of course, the types of relationships that you build. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, I would say that the values are included in, in when we talk about the way of being. Yeah. But it's all of these three interactions. Yeah. Basically, at least that's how um, it's defined in integral coaching. Oh, yes, right. That's coming mm. from that understanding, right? Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. from that perspective. Yes. yes. So the fifth and the last myth is motherhood is a solitary journey. Ah, yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. Um, this is another paradox in motherhood where... A lot of mothers desperately want support. They desperately need help. But at the same time, it's as if they want to prove to themselves that they can do it alone. Mm. Yeah, right. Because if they can't, then it can be received as a failure. And that's a huge thing uh, because being a mother is one of the most important roles, right? Uh, That we have in our lives. So feeling like we're failing at that important role is a huge blow. It's it's very difficult to live with it. So that's why a lot of times mothers will want to seek out support, but they will hesitate. They will try every means possible that they have to deal with it first alone uh, before they actually reach out for that support. This is a very common tendency that happens. Wow, that's a sad one, isn't it? Feeling of sadness that's um, inspired that feeling in me, sadness, to think that way. Wow, that's a big one, thinking that we can do things alone and trying to live from what is expected mm. of others. But this is this is very much linked with the myth of motherhood comes naturally, right? Because yeah. if it comes naturally mm, yeah. and everyone else looks yeah. like they're doing it, they're doing fine. <laughs> yes. Why would I need help? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that there's something wrong with me. Oh, I see. Yes. So true. Wow. Yeah, that's another, I have to bring it to the universal level, not just narrow down to motherhood because I, I can't help it, but I see it that way. It seems like we, we have been living this way, most of us human being, living, living fr- from the perspective of what, is expected. And we really, really go deeper into ourselves to reflect what is, what do I want? How do I want to create my life from my own inner truth? What really is here? A lot of times it will be something that it's not going to be easy to deal with. Like, for example, I interviewed somebody, I think two years ago, that she became a young mother, well, she, not, not exactly, but she, she got pregnant very young. And the decision she made was to adopt. 
the child to, to give it away to put for, for adoption because she was not able to. She was not ready and she couldn't as a teenager care for a child. And she was very mature in that in that, that she made the decision and she carried it out. She she did it. But she wanted to find that um, adopting parents that would accept her, her presence within the child's life, coming to visit and all that. So, and she had, did that happen? The, the adopted parents said yes. And she came to visit and she was part of, uh, she tried to be part of her child's life, but it didn't, it didn't work. At some point, not that she was rejected, but the child wanted closure in a sense of who are my parents? And then it just kind of asked her to just stay away, to, to just not to. She wanted to, she didn't want to be in contact with the biological mother anymore. So I interviewed the biological mother and she, that was beautiful to see her acceptance of that too. And it was a profound, so, I mean, it made me cry because I, I, I know how she felt that she made the decision. I mean, she to to put the child for adopt, adoption, and then she tried to make it um, in a way that she wouldn't feel guilty. I guess, and I actually asked her quite that question too. That was a very interesting conversation. I don't know why I'm bringing this up now. I guess because the more we explore our own truth, the the easier it is as well to to dance with that, to accept, you know, what we can't and we, we can do and we cannot, we, we're not able to do in, in this life. So I guess that it's almost like it goes for everyone, Dina, in a way, this idea of, uh, you know, motherhood, you know, what is, what is to be a mother? What is, you know, in trying to <laughs> copy, to imitate, to compare, it never mm-hmm. works. It never will work uh, because we're all unique, aren't we, humans? We're so unique. In so many ways. Yes, yes. And when you said uh, compare, and you know that we always strive uh, to do, you know, towards certain standards, and and to compare ourselves against those standards or against others. What comes to my mind is is the inner judge, which we all carry, and. Um, and of course, it's part of our existence, uh, of all human existence, uh, and even more during uh, early parenthood, because that's when the inner judge can become even louder sometimes. And uh, yeah, it can become even louder, um, comparing us to those high standards of the perfect parenting, but also to the high standards of, look, others are doing fine. It's natural to them, it's easy for them, why is it hard to you? And yeah, the inner judge can always find its way to influence how we uh, think and feel about ourselves. Mm, yes, and create that um, that sense of doubt, right? To, so it's mm. easy to doubt ourselves, mm-hmm. our inner truth. Yeah, going back to the ways, I just want to mention that you just mentioned mm-hmm. the inner critic is one of, yeah, it's one of the ways, the ways to overcome that myth of motherhood is a solitary journey. Uh, map your support system um, and then two, journal to find your inner critic you just mentioned. And then three, mm-hmm. prioritize mental health, which I love the way you defined mental health from in the beginning of our conversation about finding the balance, harmony, the peace, right? 
Yes. How wonderful. So we're almost at the end. It has been beautiful to talk to you, Dina. Um, yeah, yeah, likewise. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Valeria. Really beautiful. I'm not a mother, but it really resonates with me as a human being, of course, coming from more of a universal perspective as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. I try not to put my, you know, think from my own perspective, <laughs> but what could bring um, not just inner peace to this body mind, but to others. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a mantra that I, it keeps kind of, um, say, coming back. It's, it's a mantra for me every day. I have, it's something that I do, a practice per se. So there's a, I want to mention that there's a blog post also that caught my attention. It's titled, uh, why you may feel like you're, you are losing yourself. And Mm -hmm. there you say something that uh, it's uh, from somebody who's unknown. You say, uh, you quoted somebody, uh, babies don't change your life. They give you a whole new one. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that really, I mean, this is just so, I'm not a mother again, but that just kind of, uh, st- it paused me, you know, it was just, ah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful. because it's a big transition and you can never go back when big transition happens. You you always go forward and that forward looks different. Mm. Yes, that's it. You see, and that's very much part of the uh, living in harmony. We can say mental health, spirituality, but basically it is, if we can put words to it, right, Dina, I mean, from my perspective, it is finding that inner peace, which has to do with acceptance, which has to do with knowing ourselves deeper and going to, you know, even to what you said, the very first thing you said, one of your first words in, throughout in this conversation was about being a traveler of life. So why hold down to anything, really? Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. I know it's really hard as a mother. <laughs> you <laughs> do hold on to your children. <laughs> that, that seems like it comes naturally, right? It's expected too, in a way. But I, I do have seen, because I do a lot of my my interest, a deeper interest in spirituality, I have done, I have met some spiritual teachers who have let go of the, the family, actually. Not that mm. they kind of let go in the sense of never talking to them again or anything like that, but the label, the identification as a parent, they had to let that go in order to become a spiritual teacher. You know, one thing that a lot of times also happens is that um, parents need to let go of the fantasy baby, of how they imagined their baby would be like, how they imagined the kid would look like, how they imagined that it would grow, what abilities it would have, what Mm. it would look like, what it would be able to do. And... uh, and that's different sometimes than the actual baby that we get to deliver. And there's a sense of letting go there as well. Um, I think letting go is one of the biggest parts of life. Yes. I think it's a constant, mm. a constant letting go. Yes. If we can do that, then, uh, yeah, that would be a different reality altogether, right? Mm. It, that's the exercise of freedom, isn't it? To me, that's what it comes back as a message too, because everything is, freedom is, it's everything that's happening. I don't see anything as um, something that's being controlled or it's just, it's happening. So it's, it feels that way. Whatever this is, which we call life, is exercising freedom um, all the time. And then when we try to uh, let's say, control, manipulate that freedom, that's when um, we have conflicts, 
a lot of problems happen. By doing exactly the opposite, right? Trying to let go, we, we try to control, manipulate, and uh, redirect. It is, it is uh, something that we do, it seems like naturally too. It, it feels to me trying to make it better, but sometimes it's not fixing things, right? That will make it better, but letting it be, be mm. expressed. Yes. Uh, I guess we're talking about a different conversation here. It's more like a spiritual thing, but I want to <laughs> thank you again, Dina, for your presence in, in, in doing the work you do, for your, your presence in this reality, sharing so much wisdom. That's what I hear when I read about your work and listening to you today. I just hear wisdom. Thank you again for being you. Thank you for um, your curiosity and all the questions uh, you have asked and for um, inviting me and allowing me to talk about this and uh, and have this amazing conversation with you. I really enjoyed it. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you for saying yes. And before we say goodbye, I do have um, the ending questions. One's a technical one and then I have another one. But before that, would you like to add anything that you left and said, Tina, for today's conversation? Anything that I've left unsaid. Um, I think that I think a key, the key ingredient uh, when we talked about freedom and letting go, um, you know, all of this conversation that we had. I think one other key ingredient that I really want to acknowledge is compassion, which is so important. Um, that ability to feel deeply for another, but to also feel deeply for ourselves and to be able to hold space for others and for us. Uh, without that space, I think, and without compassion, it's really hard to let go. Ah, yes. So true. That's very beautifully said. Uh, for some reason, I do, I do see compassion as let's say, a byproduct of freedom, of understanding what freedom is. So that it's, it's easy to just be compassionate because you know we don't want, just by not trying to control, not trying to force anything, then there's something, compassion arises. That's, it's almost like that's the embodiment of compassion, not forcing, mm -hmm. not trying too hard. It's to the point to hurt, to hurting yourself or others. So interesting that you said that. Yeah, about mm. compassion, because I do bring them together, compassion and freedom. <laughs> ah, beautiful. So um, at the end, I'll ask you this question here. But before okay. I ask you this, uh, the final question, where is the best place to find more information about you, Dina? That would be my website, which is uh, dinapataki.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. That's also another place to find me easily. Yes, yeah, so that's wonderful to know. I'll have those links on your podcast profile. And my last question is this one. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, this is a tough one. Just three. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you want a, a whole list. <laughs> yes, right. Marry it down. <laughs> mm, well, I think since we talked about inner peace, I think that's one of the key things. That would be, that would really make uh, that human existence so valuable. You know, be able to go through our human existence with inner peace. So I would definitely want everyone to experience that. Uh, what else? Um, I would definitely want uh, everyone to experience uh, love in their life. Uh, 
And I know that there are many different forms of love, uh, but at least a love, no matter what it looks like, where you feel seen, understood, heard. And, um, and what else they would want to experience? Mm, let me think about it. Um, what else would I choose? I think... Actually, I should have started from this. I should have started from this, especially with what's going on in the world. Safety and security. Uh, because that's the base of everything. Without safety and security, it's hard to exercise our freedom. Uh, it's hard to... Um, it, it, it's really hard to go through the human experience without security and safety. Yes. Uh, wow. Well, yeah, that's, um, that's so true, I have to say. Yeah, sometimes we, we talk about inner peace, love, all these beautiful concepts that they are very important, of course. But then you're right, without feeling safe, um, yeah, we can't, we cannot even imagine, right, what that mm. feels like, inner yes. peace, love, joy, and all that, right? So I think I should have actually started from there. <laughs> yes, but... Either way, I I don't know if you heard about this book, um, A Man in Search for Meaning. Yes, is, of course. You did, right? So, from a psychologist. I forgot his mm. name now. I keep forgetting. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl, right. So he, it, it seems like he, that's what the message is, that he was able to find that, uh, the inner reliance, inner trust, inner safety um, within chaos. Mm. Uh, I know that's not... It's not easy, right, Dina? It has been done also by monks, but then um, in who knows, who knows, maybe by ordinary people that we don't know, but it's not, it's not easy. So yeah, I love the idea that we can create safe space for others in our own house, starting with our own house, with our own children, right? Mm. In the case of parents, mm -hmm. create yes. that sense of safety and then uh, passing that on everywhere we go, um, um, as a, almost as a living safe space. I love the idea that we can be that too. Everywhere we go, we can bring this, this presence of safety. So even for strangers who are not feeling well, they can sense that and mm. rest within our presence. So yes. thank you so much for That's this. True. Another beautiful reminder. Thank you. Ah, it's so inspirational. <laughs> talk to you, Dina. <laughs> so thank you so much again for your presence and we'll talk soon. Take good thank care. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dina Pataki and her work, please visit dinapataki.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.